1: Planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good
0: afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I always want to feel I always feel like saying I'm back because I've been here for a couple of weeks um, and it feels good to be back with all of you today. Uh, The last time I was here, we actually devoted an entire show to listener questions. And we are going to do a lot of listener questions today because you guys have a ton of them. But before we get to that, I did want to do another in our um, Schools In application workshop series and to talk a little bit about what to do now that there are only about six weeks left until the last major deadline of January 1. Um, And for everyone applying to the University of California system, Uh, November 30th is your big deadline. You can't submit after that. Uh, And if you're curious about what to do, if you still haven't done much, you want to go and listen to last week's show because we had all of our California experts on and they were talking all about the UC application. Uh, So today, I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Kira Tyler, who is a former Brandeis admissions officer, to talk to us about kind of what to be thinking about right now. Um, So welcome, Kira. Kira.
2: Thanks, Beth. Really fun
0: to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Always great to have you as a guest. Um, And right (laughs) before we went on, we were talking about, um, you know, we do get signups now. We do get seniors who are just coming to us, and um, either they are sort of feeling like, well, we weren't sure we were going to need help, and now that we've started to do stuff, we know we need help, or just haven't really been thinking much about it and, and are thinking like, okay, now is a good time to go um, and meet with someone. So I guess really my, my first question for you is, what do you do when you've got a new senior in your office who hasn't done a whole lot? They, maybe they know kind of, they have a basic idea of where they think they want to apply, but they haven't done much more than that. What's, what are some of the first things that you work with that student on?
2: Yeah, So, um, you know, working with a student at this point in the year is obviously a very different – it has a very different feel than if we had started with them a month before, certainly, you know, end of summer. But, you know, it happens, and that's fine, and we can be certainly successful. I think the first thing that I do is even if they have a list, I want to take another realistic look at the list um, because presumably they now have, of course, three full years of grades. They have probably a first-quarter set of grades. All of their testing should be complete, so I want to make sure that the list still makes sense um, and see if we have any holes that need to be addressed around, you know, not enough uh, challenging or whatever. Um, so that's really my first thing that I'm looking at is a realistic look at their college list.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: the second thing I'm really wanting them to understand is, like you said that so we've got six weeks until the end of the year January 1, which is for most of our students going to be that first, that, I'm sorry, that sort of last major deadline. There are a few exceptions, obviously, but, um, and so I'm wanting to help them get a really firm grasp on deadlines and help them figure out how to set milestones, miles, excuse me, milestones, not milestones. <laughs> 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 um, and um, in a perfect world, You know, students would be, have earned themselves a little bit of a breather right now around the college search process, and I would be saying, you know, I want everybody in the house to take a breather from the college process over Thanksgiving, and you've earned it, and let's just enjoy it and give yourself a little bit of time. You can get it back at it after. I think for these students, these couple of days off can be a really great time to feel productive um, and to get a lot of good work done. Um, You know, and so um, I would really try to map out their couple of days off of school to help them figure out how to make some um, reasonable progress with their process.
0: Yeah, I think a great point, right? So for our students who have already done or completed a huge chunk of the process, they get to relax over the, ho- of the Thanksgiving holiday. For those who still have a lot left to do, unfortunately, yeah. I think it's a working holiday and you just kind Agreed. of have to approach it that way, right? Um, right,
2: completely. So,
0: yeah, I mean, one, another thing that um, I, I think all of those things you just mentioned are absolutely things that I'm doing with students. Sometimes I do have a student come in who comes in with an essay at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And much as you are reviewing the list to make sure that it really works, that it's got balance and that they're going to have a range of options. If that's the list that they apply to, I'm sort of doing, and I'm guessing you are too, a similar perusal of this essay that they've kind of put in front of me. And I would say, you know, even though it's they only have six weeks left, I think often I I will say I'm sorry. I just don't think this is going to work. <laughs> um, you know, not always, but a lot of times. Right. And um, in fact, I do think a lot of times when families come to us at this stage, it's for exactly that reason that they sort of yeah. the student is working through it. And they're feeling like, I'm not sure this is really what it needs to be. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, at that point, I probably spend, focus a lot on, okay, so you have this essay that doesn't really work. Maybe we need a different version on the same topic or more often than not, we need a whole new topic altogether. So let's start brainstorming. Let's start really thinking about what that topic can be um, and sort of setting that schedule for crafting something new. Um, And, You know, I think people think that it has to be written over months, but actually some students crank out their best work in, uh, you know, a few days or even a week or two. Um, So that's always interesting. What about, yeah,
2: yeah, sorry, anything you would add
0: to that? You know, what would you add to that? Is is there anything that you do differently or in addition to that?
2: You know, no, not really, because I I think you're right. Uh, The reason why some people may be coming to us now is because they have tried and they flailed, not failed, but they are flailing and they need some support. They have figured out we need some help because we're not sure what to do. And so, you know, this is a very tactical approach that I'm taking with them. Um, I had a conversation last night with a family that was fairly similar actually. Um, And the student's essay, her writing, which is a gift, her writing was fine. That wasn't the problem. It was the essay that was kind of the problem, Um, but we talked about through five minutes of conversation, not two hours of brainstorming, you know, very tactical ways to make it better, and I think she walked away feeling like this is something reasonable that she could do and wind up with a much better product. So, I agree about, like, the months of writing, yeah, we don't have that, but I often also think that when it's right, it comes really quickly and easily, And so yep. I'm not surprised when people, we talk through it. I'm not a, I'm a magician, obviously, but we talk <laughs> through it. And, or am I? And are you sure? Later, exactly. <laughs> 90 I think minutes later, they're like, I got it. And I'm like, you're right. Yes, you do. Right. We are now 85% there instead of 40% there. That, that's it. Right. Exactly. I do yeah. think
0: just, you know, having, having, the ability to kind of bounce ideas off of someone, um, and you know, you may be listening and thinking. Hopefully, you've gotten some really good thoughts just by listening to the shows. And if you haven't been listening to the shows, there's a great resource in the archives, and we've done more than one show, actually quite a few, on how to approach the essay, how to think about the essay, how to think about the essay topic. You know, one thing you might not be aware of if you've done all of that and you still feel like, oh, I'm just not sure we're there, is you can also do a one hour consult with us, so you don't have to sign up for a full package and today's show is not all about purchasing college coach but um i do know that that you know that that bit of help can be really useful if um if it's not really in the budget to hire for a full program just getting that bit of insight and uh, assistance from someone can be really useful um before we wrap up Kira, any other additional sort of time-saving things that you do with students or think about um, Mm -hmm. in terms of looking at the work in front of them and how to complete it in in the best and yet most efficient way?
2: Yeah, so the key, obviously, is efficiency at this point in time, and so my take on their work and their progress is very strategic. So, and we're working through the essay. I'm also trying to figure out, okay, based on these other schools you're applying to, I know that you might be able to utilize this, but they prompt. They're not on the Common App or, you know, this school has a really interesting, um, you know, uh, supplement. And, you know, I think what you just said, actually, you can expand on that and write 200 words. So it's a lot of um, we're trying to figure out how to be dynamic and flexible um, and use the writing in a really versatile way. So um, that's really my hope is that uh, students feel confident after even just like an hour, 90 minutes of meeting with me, they have a path moving forward and we have some solid deeps around helping them get there.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think I would sum that up by it just, uh, the approach is right, work smarter, not harder. Look for places where something you've done for another school is going to work or look for similarities and questions so that if you're trying to choose between five different options on one application and one of those options would also, the answer to that would also work for a different application, well, then your choice is made and you can write one essay and, um, you know, kill two birds with one stone. Own in that way. Um, yeah.
2: In fact, you know, I just had a really quick thought, too, sort of more holistically about students that are in this position right now, and I know mm-hmm. sometimes people are, like, feeling really, like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I don't have any time, but they're wringing their hands about the clock ticking, and mm-hmm. I think that may have been what led them to this point in the first place, right, feeling a little paralyzed and overwhelmed by the situation, and, you mm-hmm. know, the hope is that at some point, use, hey, use Thanksgiving if you need to. That there has to be a point where the student takes control of the process, um, you know, with some support, whatever it's mom, dad, it's a teacher, it's another trusted adult. But realize okay. These like if I really want this to happen, um, I need to get on this and to leave all of that sort of nervousness or disappointment about nice grade grades or whatever was holding you back in the past. Um, mm-hmm. to use this as a way to sort of wipe the slate clean and decide you're really going to make progress and you're going to make these deadlines because they don't wait for anybody. Um, right. You know, if you're a latecomer and you're usually like, well, I can get an extension, this would not be the time to play with that. So I just no. help people sort of recognize if you've struggled, it's not too late, just turn the page and, and get to work.
0: Right. I think that's... Really great advice, and I appreciate you coming on the show today, Kira, and thank you so much. And to all those who are facing the next six weeks and haven't gotten a lot done, hopefully um, there's been some good advice here that will help you uh, start to move forward. I would guarantee you the minute you start to do something, you will start feeling better about it because you will be accomplishing something, as Kira just um, alluded to. So thanks so much again, Kira. Yeah, thanks for having me, Beth. Bye. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bye bye. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to do listener questions, um, both admissions and financial aid. And my uh, colleague and financial aid expert, Lori Peltier, is going to join us. So don't go away.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. back everybody and thanks for sticking with us or thanks for joining if you're just tuning in i mentioned before the break that we were going to do the rest of the show with listener questions and i am true to my promises joining me is laurie peltier and laurie i feel like you are so frequently a finance guest (laughs) when i am hosting that you're almost like my sort of steady finance expert so welcome back thanks it's great Um, to be here Good. All right. So, we're gonna, we have so many questions. We're going to jump right in, and I think today we're going to start with some admissions questions. So, fire away.
4: Okay. Well, we had some great feedback and a question from Jonathan. He says, Your podcasts are so helpful. I listen to them each week to help guide our family through this process. My question is, my son has applied to some schools' early action, including one as a legacy he doesn't get accepted in the early round, is there really much of a chance to get accepted in the regular round, barring some huge uptick in his grades or another big addition to his application?
0: Well, so Jonathan, first of all, thank you very much for the kind words. And I did see your question um, on our Facebook page, so um, if you... Uh, ask us questions on Facebook we try to answer them and I just thought this would be a really good one to kick the, the show off with today which is why we punted and said we'll answer it today So there's a lot here that is unknown, and for that reason, and it's tough to answer this super specifically, but I also think it's really helpful just in general for people listening. Um, The first thing is that you mentioned early action, and we've done some shows where we talk about the difference between early decision and early action. Early action is non-binding. The key to early action is that at some schools, the early action round is actually the most difficult round at the school to get accepted in. So, for example, at both Georgetown and at Notre Dame, they're very clear about the fact that they really look at early action as the time when they are admitting their top academic prospects. Georgetown is really specific about this. They don't do legacy. They don't do recruited athlete. They don't do any special consideration in early. It is all about academics. And they reserve those spots in the early action round for academically talented students. So if your child is in the applicant pool, in the early action applicant pool, at one of those schools that is pretty, um, you know, sort of out there about the fact that this is all we are looking at in early, then I would say that the deferral decision really tells you nothing about their chances of getting in in regular. Uh, Other than that, they weren't one of the very top academic prospects that year. Uh, and, And an applicant pool like Georgetown's, there are going to be a lot of super talented applicants in that pool. So even then, all you know is that you weren't the very tip-top, but that doesn't mean you weren't a very competitive applicant. Um, So all of this to say that what I have seen in both early action and even early decision is that a deferral into the regular decision round is not an automatic deny. And in fact, when I was at Penn I really tried hard to deny those students an early decision who I knew were not going to have any shot at all in regular decision. So, in general, deferral is meant to say, hey, we need a little bit more time. We'd like to see you in the context of the regular decision pool. In some cases, it might mean that there was something missing. Maybe the test scores didn't arrive in time or was missing uh, a teacher recommendation that they really wanted to have. Uh, or they really wanted to see how the student was going to handle a particularly rigorous curriculum in the first half of freshman year. Uh, Sorry, senior year. So I think I would be careful to assume that a deferral was equivalent to a denial. Uh, I also would say that it really depends on the selectivity of the school. So um, it could be that that school is so selective that, yeah, that ultimately that deferral will end up being a denial. But I wouldn't make the assumption that, The early round coupled with legacy means, you know, that's your kid's best shot because that's not always the case. So take heart. Even if he is deferred, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be accepted. And um, we will do a show a little bit later on where we talk about, um, you know, later on in December where we talk a little bit more about what does a deferral mean and how do you handle it? So if your son is deferred, tune in for that show and we'll talk a little bit more about that then.
4: Great. That's good information. Are you ready for another one? I'm ready for another one. (laughs) Okay. So Jennifer writes, what are your thoughts on pre-college programs and mentioning them on the application? My daughter went to two classes at Brown University. She didn't do it to increase her chances at admission because we know that isn't the case. She wanted to dig deeper into the subject she was interested in and get an opportunity to meet people from different countries and backgrounds. I've heard some say that it can actually hurt an application to mention a pre-college program. Not sure what the answer is.
0: Uh, Okay, so Jennifer, this is a really good question, and I think this is also a really good example of how... Information can get twisted into being something other than what was intended. Um, I always tell people, when, you, when, someone, when you're standing around the soccer field or you're at a cocktail party or you're at some type of event and the subject of college admissions comes up and someone very knowingly says to you, well, I've heard that, you should always assume that what follows is either complete and utter bunk and they have no idea what they're talking about or that it has been twisted in some way so that there's a kernel of truth there, but then a lot of it is probably not true. Um, so what I would say is this. Attending a pre-college program at a specific school with the goal of increasing your chances of getting in is absolutely not a great idea From for exactly what you just said. The reason you do those are to get a great experience, to maybe dig more deeply into a particular subject of interest, to get a sense of what it's like to live on a college campus. I think they can be wonderful experiences for students, but they don't, you know, you don't have a better shot at getting into Brown because you did Brown's pre-college program. That said, you certainly don't hurt your chances anywhere by doing a pre-college program, right? So is it the most unique thing you can do? No, it's not. But it's a certainly a solid use of your summertime, and it, in no way, shape, or form would it ever hurt the student. The only case in which it might hurt the student was if the student is taking a college course for which they are getting a grade, and they don't get a good grade. That can be a negative because – Basically, you're saying, hey, look, this is what I might be able to accomplish in college, and if it's sort of uh, not particularly good grade, um, then that doesn't tell them anything great about what you could do in college right so that's um, that's the downside sometimes to doing those programs but the simple act of doing the program is never going to be a negative I absolutely would include it on the application especially because colleges do care what you're doing with your summers and this is a great example of something that you've done with your summer so you don't want to leave that out and have them wondering well gee that doesn't look like she did very much that summer that's going to be a negative having something on there that you you did do is going to always be a positive. Um, okay. So those, we started out with a couple from it of admissions questions, but Lori, now I have one for you. Uh, this one comes from Rosanna who asks um, or tells us my son is being recruited to D three schools for wrestling. However, since it is D three, the school is not able to offer any money towards tuition. I will be speaking to a coach tomorrow. Ooh, I don't know when this conversation happened, Rosanna, but at least we'll be able to give you some stuff for future conversations, and was wondering how to ask if there is any other opportunity regarding finance. I don't think we will qualify for financial aid, but can't afford the $60,000 tuition. Help. And I would add to that,
4: not many people can. So right, you're, not, gonna, <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> I was just going to start off with that. Who can afford $60,000 tuition? Right. Right. So I think the first thing, if I were you, Rosanna, what I would do is, you know, go to one of the colleges that that you're considering for your son to attend and find their net price calculator to determine if you would qualify for any need-based aid. The net price calculator will tell you what you qualify for. And if there is any eligibility for need-based aid, then definitely plan on applying for need-based aid with the FAFSA form and any other applications that the school might require. And then... You know, I've worked at a d three school myself, and even though it is um, illegal or not not it's frowned upon for a coach to offer athletic scholarships for a recruited athlete, they can offer other kinds of merit aid. So he could get a leadership uh, award or an academic scholarship based on grades and test scores. So research what merit aid is available from the schools tell the coach that finances are an issue for you, the coach would give a little bit of a push to the admissions and financial aid office to see that your son gets everything that he's possibly eligible for to make the school affordable for you, because that coach doesn't want to lose him as a recruit. So I wouldn't um, give up hope yet. Um, You can always go back to the coach after you get a merit aid offer and see if there's anything else. You could try to push for even more. Um, But if he's a good student for that school, a good match academically, they will probably find an academic scholarship to offer him. In my mind, a D3 school with an academic scholarship is almost better than an athletic award. Wrestling is not one of those sports where a student gets full tuition scholarship. Only really football and basketball get a lot of athletic aid. So you may even get more money on the academic side than you would on the athletic side, even you know if it was a D2 school. The other thing is that the academic scholarship that he might get would be there for all four years as long as he maintains a certain grade point average, whereas an athletic scholarship, if the student gets injured or decides they don't want to participate in that sport anymore, the athletic scholarship could be taken away. So I think it may turn out better for some families to get an academic scholarship versus the athletic one. So I I wouldn't give up hope yet.
0: All right. So that's super helpful. And I, you know, it is always a tricky thing and people, I think one of the tricky things about athletic recruitment is people assuming that their child is going to get a full ride. Um, And to your point, those are not that uh, common uh, for most sports. And even in the sports where they might be a little more common, they're not there for everybody. Um, You know, they're there for those really top performers. And to your point, too, what if he decides that he really doesn't want to wrestle after a couple of years? That's not ideal from the coach's perspective. But if he is a scholarship that's not tied to that, that's going to be probably more useful to him in the end. Um, All right. So awesome. Thank you. And I think you have another question or two for me.
4: I do. There's lots of them that came in. So from Elizabeth, she writes, if you're not going ED, is there benefit to submitting all your applications for regular admission in November? Does it show any type of demonstrated interest that you did not go ED anywhere?
0: Um, Well, first of all, there's nothing stopping anyone who applied early decision from also submitting their regular decision applications. I always think that's a waste of money and time because after, if you get into your early decision school, you now just have to, you've already paid to submit all those other applications and now you have to take the time to withdraw all of those applications. Um, And woe to you if you forget to, and that could cause you a lot of problems um, if you're not adhering to that early decision agreement, which requires you to withdraw all those other applications, so that's a long winded answer to the question of does it show that you are more interested because you didn't go ed anywhere and my response to that is just because you're submitting doesn't mean you didn't go early decision anywhere and really the long the short answer to this is no it doesn't give you any benefit at all um, I do think people have a vision that they're they're paying close attention to when the application came in, and they're really not. Unless it's a rolling admission school, which means that they're reading the applications as soon as they arrive and sending out decisions shortly thereafter – Um, they're not even looking at these applications until after the regular decision deadline. So they're just going to go and sit. Um, Now, is it helpful from the perspective of processing to get it in a little bit earlier? Sure. But to rush and send everything in in November, um, you might be shortchanging yourself on some extra time that might have helped improve an essay or take one more look at the application. I mean, if you're ready to submit in November, by all means you can go ahead and press the submit button, but you're not going to get any extra points for it. And there aren't going to be any assumptions made about where you did or did not apply in an early round somewhere else. Um, And they're not going to award extra points because you were ready to submit a little bit earlier. So short answer is no and no.
4: (laughs) Okay. And I've received a lot of questions about that from the financial side this time Mm -hmm. of year. Now that the FAFSA form is already... Uh, out October 1st people are wondering should they submit that early even though they're applying for admission in January uh, I say yes if you're ready to do the financial aid forms go ahead because it's the opposite on the financial aid side they do review the applications in the order they came in they yeah. are looking at the data came in and a lot of the money is give, given out on a first come first serve basis
0: Ah, oh, wow that's interesting good to know I didn't know that. See, I learn something every time I do this show, which I love.
4: (laughs) All right. right. So Polly is writing in, what can a student do between early and regular decision to improve their college application?
0: Um, So, Polly, I'm going to actually direct you to our November 3rd show. Uh, Ian hosted the show, and he did a whole segment with Karen Spencer about what to do after you submitted your early applications. Um, and it's related a bit to those applications themselves and then what's coming up. Um, the one piece of advice I would offer to everyone out there listening is that I really do feel strongly about not pressing submit on regular decision applications until you hear from your early school, provided that they're going to notify you by, early, by mid-December. Obviously, you should have them all ready to go, but for one, who wants to waste seventy five dollars per school to submit these applications and two, what if the decision in early is um, you know not what you were anticipating i 've seen students get a flat out denial in early and wonder what happened and they come to us, they do a consult, and I look at the essay and I say, "Well, this is probably not helping." And at that point, they've already submitted their applications everywhere else. And so there's nothing that I can really do about that part of it. There are other things we can address, but that's not an option. So I would, I don't, I'm not a big believer that your early decision decisions or early action decisions should change everything. But I would say that if you get a decision that is a surprise, you do want to have the ability to maybe at least take a look at what you did, and maybe there's something that could be fixed. But if you've already submitted it everywhere, then that's not ever going to be part of the, part of the process. Um, okay, I'm going to ask one more question. We'll go to a finance question, and then we're going to go to a break. Um, this question comes from Avis, who says, paying for college is a challenge. No kidding, right? I'm adding the no kidding. Um, Please give me a list of scholarships my child can apply for in Georgia. Not too specific.
4: Right, right. Um, I think if we did have a list of scholarships, it would probably wrap around the globe a couple times because there's so many different scholarships out there. It's hard to say that there's any one set list. But I can tell her that scholarships come from three different places. They come from the colleges themselves as a way to recruit the best and brightest students to their institution, So look closely at the schools you're planning on applying to. Make sure you have a few schools where the student is an above average student. We call them safety schools or no problem schools. Those are the colleges where you have the best chances of getting offered a scholarship upon admission. And the scholarships from the colleges are typically the most amount of money you're going to receive. It's typically for all four years, and they can be large amounts like $10,000 or half tuition or things like that. So the college is one resource, and make sure you're researching the schools on your list. Secondly, there are national scholarships that you can search for on some of the search engines that are available today. National scholarships include big companies like Coca-Cola and the Buick Car Company and the National Science Foundation. Uh, I recommend the website scholarships.com. It's very mm-hmm. quick and easy. It doesn't cost anything. Um, it takes about 20 minutes for a student to answer questions Were they a Girl Scout? Did they serve in the military? Are they studying math? You know, do they play a musical instrument? All these little um, answers will trigger a match within the database at scholarships.com, and you'll receive a list of scholarships from them that is customized to your child's answers to that survey. Uh, Lastly, I would say locally look at your high school guidance office, your employer, your church, your credit union, your grocery store. All of your local connections will have scholarships. A lot of them are smaller, like $500 or $1,000, but you can win more than one. You have a lot less competition on the local level. In Georgia, they have, of course, the HOPE Scholarship for in-state public schools, and I would use the website Georgia Futures, so it's GAFutures.org, for a list of scholarships specific to the state of Georgia, but I wouldn't ignore the other avenues that we just talked about as well.
0: Yeah, and actually, to piggyback on that, um, next week is Thanksgiving. And on Thanksgiving, the, the Voice America tradition is to replay a, um, a show that we have done in the past. And actually, the, the show we're replaying does have a segment on quirky scholarships and how to find those. So you might want to take a listen to that, um, that episode again as well. Um, all right, so why don't we roll into another admissions question, if you have one for me, Laurie.
4: Okay. So we have a question from Chandra uh, related to the California state system. She says, Hi. my daughter is interested in applying to schools in the UC system and the CSU system. She attends a private college preparatory high school in Houston where she has earned mostly Bs. She has attended our local public school. Oh, sorry, had she attended our local public school, she would probably more likely be in the top 10% of her class. The UC system requires out-of-state applicants to earn a minimum of a 3.4 GPA, Her calculated GPA in all her AG courses is a Mm 3.14. Her composite ACT is 27, and it's within the middle 50% of the fall 2016 freshman profile for the UC campuses. Uh, With the UC system still considering her with a lower GPA from a highly competitive and rigorous high school program is the question.
0: Okay. So there are a few different things going on here in this question, and I luckily I have it in front of me because I don't want to miss any of them. But the first and biggest issue, and one I want to address right away, because I think it's relevant to everyone who's listening, is the idea that if a student had gone to X school, they would have done one thing, but they they went to this school, and therefore they did this thing. Colleges don't do that. Colleges don't look at a student's, what they've accomplished, and say, well, she did this here, but had she gone here, she would have done much better. Um, it doesn't work that way. They look at the student in the context of the school that they attend. So if a college has certain expectations of how a student is going to perform, they expect that whether they go to the local private school or... Or they go to the local public school, or they go to boarding school, or what have you. So that's an important thing. And actually, we did a whole segment on that in the archives. I know I'm like talking about the archives constantly tonight, but um, we did do a segment on that. Um, So that's the first thing. And I can appreciate the frustration, although it's really hard to say that she might have done better, because perhaps if she got into the local public school, she might have um, fallen in with the wrong crowd, and maybe she would have done worse. Right. So that's one of the big reasons you can't imagine what would have been. Um, the second thing is that the UC system is actually fairly holistic. Um, it's a big system, so they're not hugely holistic, but they really don't have cutoffs. And so I, I don't feel comfortable saying that um, because she doesn't have a 3.4, that automatically means that she's not going to be admitted. Um, She is from out of state. Out of state students are typically full pay students. The UC system is looking for more full pay students. They need that money. They need that income. And that is why they have over time admitted more students from out of state because they need the money, quite honestly. So that is going to work in your daughter's favor. Um I what we have seen is that a GPA is more important for from their perspective than test scores. So what we've seen is students with a higher test score but a lower GPA not fare quite as well as a student with a higher GPA and a lower test score. Obviously the two together, high GPA, high test score are the ideal, but if you're gonna be lower in one than in the other, the ideal would be to be lower in the test score than to be in uh, the GPA. I think that 3.14 is probably gonna be difficult at the UCs, but I certainly think she should go ahead and apply. Uh, and um, it's possible that she could end up being an attractive applicant. For the, U, the CSU system, so for the California state system versus we were talking about the University of California system and the California state system, they actually publish a sliding scale. Um, and in the sliding scale, they talk about, and I, I got this information, they have an eligibility index that you can check out. You can actually go to the CSU site and click on the eligibility index. It's for students with a lower than 3.6, which is what they list as their out-of-state minimum. And for kids with a 27 ACT, the GPA needs to be a 2.85. So I think you're really fine there eligibility-wise. The GPA does still matter more than testing, like we were saying. Um, And they're going to go... Start at the top and go down, but you do bring needed money, and that can be a real um, positive. So I think the UCs are probably going to be a big reach, but she can still try, but the CSUs probably are a little bit more, have a little bit more possibility. Um, All right, so Lori, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get to another finance question and uh, then try and get through as many more of these
4: as we can. Okay, great.
3: your child down the road to the decision that really matters the one in the envelope that says yes visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting in
1: the future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today listening to Getting In A College Coach Conversation to reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com now back to the show
4: all right we're back we're answering
0: listener questions and we have so many that I am just going to jump right in Lori Um, next question comes from Michelle and she asks, how can my daughter, and by the way, when I was reading this, I thought, oh, I think I know the answer and I don't think Michelle's going to like it, but I could be wrong. So (laughs) (laughs) the question is, how can my daughter begin establishing credit so she can receive a Sally Mae loan on her own?
4: Um, Well, this is kind of a tough question because most students in a bachelor's degree, assuming it's an undergraduate student, say under the age of 24, it's going to be very hard for that student to borrow on their own. The federal government allows them to borrow a student loan, but there are maximums on it. And over a four-year degree, the maximum they can borrow on their own is 27000 which given the cost of some of the schools is kind of a drop in the bucket. So what most families end up doing is borrowing a private loan from a company like Sally May, which is also known as Naviant, or a private bank like Citizens or Wells Fargo, and having the parent or another adult co-sign with them. In order to get one of those private loans without a co-signer, a student needs to prove that they have a good credit history and they have enough income to pay the loan back. I've seen some thresholds from the bank where they require a student to have $18,000 of annual income before they'll let them borrow on their own without a cosigner. There are a few ways for you to help your student start to build a credit history, so maybe not while they're in undergrad, but maybe right out of college they'd have a better chance of getting a car loan or maybe borrowing a better loan for grad school if they're going on to grad school. Some of those um, ways to earn a credit history would be to have the student start paying back their federal loans, or you, as a parent, start paying back the federal loans that your student borrowed. So it looks like on the student's credit history, they borrowed a loan, they're in the process of paying it back, on time, regular monthly payments, not missing any. You can also have the student get a credit card, as scary as that sounds. Um, you can have the credit card linked to the parent's credit card. So when the parent pays the credit card on time, uh, it helps the student's credit score because the student's name is attached to that credit card as well. There are also a thing called secured credit cards where the student puts down, say, $500 in, in a secure bank account for this credit card to be drawn against. But for credit history, it sounds just like a credit card. So they think that, okay, the student's you know, borrowing this money from a bank and paying it back on a regular basis. I would be careful about the maximum amount that you would allow the credit card to be, you know, maybe $1,000, $2,000, so that they can't get into too much trouble if they go on a spending spree or something, and just being very careful about, you know, paying it back on time and at least the minimum monthly payments, ideally paying off the whole balance every month. But other than that, it's, it's a very low chance of getting a student to borrow on their own for undergrad other than the federal loans.
0: Yeah, that was the answer I was afraid you were going to give because I just thought, I don't think you can really do that Um, because if you could, probably more people would. Um, All right, well, that's super helpful information, though. Thank you, Lori.
4: Okay, and there are some more questions for you that came in. Uh, We have two of them, one from Randy and one from Marianne, but they're similar, so I'm going to lump them together. Randy asked, how do we best position our son for Cornell or NYU? What are some steps beyond the standard that we need to take? And then Marianne asked, other than good grades and high test scores, how can a student stand out amongst all the applications?
0: So these questions are, are fairly common. We get them a lot, and they're almost, so, they're almost impossible to answer on some level because, um, you know, this big question of standing out. I would say most students don't stand out. It's not really, it is a matter of standing out, and yet it's sort of, it's more about how do you help your student make good choices so that at the end of the day, their application reflects a really interesting and interested student is kind of how I would put it. Um, So Cornell and NYU aren't looking for anything different than other selective schools are looking for. Uh, And there are going to be schools that look for much less than what Cornell and NYU are looking for. And there are going to be schools that want, that have even higher expectations um, potentially. So um, what are the things you think about? I I think what's helpful to think about here is just, um, you know, it's important to take good classes, right? It's important for your child to challenge him or herself, him or herself in the classroom um, so that they are taking courses, they are ideally sticking with all five major subject areas: math, science, English, history, and foreign language, all four years. Um, that if they are dropping in one of those areas, which isn't going to be ideal. The higher, the more selective you get, the less, um, you know, the less you want to see something like that. Um, But if they are going to make that choice, that they're doubling up in another area, so they do at least have five cores every year, um, that they are doing well in those classes. And again, that's going to vary from school to school. At some schools, straight A's is going to make you a superstar in the applicant pool. For other schools, it's going to make you look a lot like everybody else, um, but it's going to be important. Um, you're going to want to do as well as you possibly can on your standardized test scores. If that's a requirement, again, at some schools, that expectation is going to be, you know, 1,200 on the SAT or 27 on the ACT. And at other schools, it's going to be a 35 on the ACT or, a. um, 1,400, 1,600 on the SAT. So it's going to really vary from school to school. So it's all about helping your child do the best that he or she is capable of. And then beyond that, it is about getting involved, having some things that um, your student is interested in and pursuing those interests in extracurricular activities. Um, both could be in at the school, outside of the school, doing interesting things with their summer. That could be a summer job. It could be an internship. It could be um, doing a special program. Again, there is no one thing that a kid can do that's going to automatically make them a superstar. It is all about figuring out what works for them and really focusing in on those things that they're most interested in. Um, And that's really the secret. In so much as there is a secret, it's making good curriculum choices, doing well on those standardized tests, doing interesting things outside of the classroom. And by the way, also being a likable person because there are going to be people who are going to write them letters of recommendation and you want to choose the right recommendation writers and you also want to have been someone Who was active in class, who spoke up, who participated, uh, who showed an interest, who wasn't a problem in the class, you know, talking too much or in other ways disrupting the classroom environment. Because if you're doing those things, that's going to lead to recommendation letters that aren't going to be as strong. All of those pieces factor into the decision-making process. At some schools, they factor in in a huge way. Um, At other schools, they are going to be not super important, but might be a difference maker for a student who's on the bubble. Um, So that's my advice about sort of standing out and, Steps Beyond the Standard, Uh, and we've done a ton of shows on this. And in fact, the show we do next week all about how to evaluate your chances at a highly selective school um, could be useful to think about even for other schools. We appreciate that not everyone's looking at a highly selective school. Um, There are other segments that we've done about extracurricular activities and how to think about those um, that might also be useful uh, to think about. Um, for not only these people who sent in these questions, but people who've sent in similar questions. Uh, all right, Lori, I've got another question for you, and this one comes from Amy. And Amy asks, what financial information besides taxes do schools review for financial aid eligibility?
4: Uh, that, that's a common question that people ask me all the time. You know, do I have to send my bank statements? How are they going to know? What are they going to see? Well, basically, yep. the colleges. We'll ask you to fill out the financial aid forms, which would ask you questions about your adjusted gross income, how much you paid in federal taxes, the number in your household, the amount of money you have in savings accounts, checking accounts, and cash on hand, the value of your non-retirement investments, and the amount of your untaxed income. So, And they will get a lot of this information from your tax return automatically in the FAFSA filing process. Some schools will take it a step further and ask you to submit your W-2s to them. Because your W-2 form from your employer will show your untaxed income, your pre-tax dollars that went to, say, a 401K or a 403B, that's something that's not on your tax return, so they will capture it from your W-2. But not all schools will ask for that. Um, Occasionally, if you listed, say, that you had zero money in the bank, zero money in investments but your tax return showed that you had interest income, dividend income, capital gains, well, then they're going to have a question mark and say, well, how can you possibly have interest income if you have no assets in the bank? So they may then ask you to report your or send in copies of your bank statements. I find that only really happens at the really expensive selective private schools. They have a lot of money to give. They want to make sure they're giving it to the right families, and they have a large enough staff in the financial aid office to capture that data and review it. A lot of the large public schools won't ask for anything because they just don't have the time and effort and energy to go through all of those documents. Um, And then the last thing is that the federal government will also randomly select FAFSA forms for what's called verification. You don't really have a lot of control of it. There's a certain percentage of FAFSA forms that when they're processed, they get flagged for verification. That means the college has to verify the information. So they will send you out an additional form saying, just wanted to confirm, is this really your income? Is this really the number of people in your household? Is this really your tax filing status? Questions like that. So there's no additional documents that you have to come up with. You just have to sign off on that form and send it back. And it's not really a red flag. It's not that you were getting selected out. It's a random selection. So there really isn't much else other than your W-2s, and not every school will ask for them. Got it.
0: That's super helpful. I actually don't think I ever really thought about the things you might have to show to a school. So thank you for that, Lori. I appreciate
4: it. You're welcome. We do have another question uh, that came in for you, Beth, uh, from Kumar. He wants to know he needs help in getting my daughter into a combined medical program.
0: Sure. So for those of you listening or wondering what a combined medical program is, it, there are some schools out there that offer programs where you apply as an entering freshman and you are accepted into the program and it takes you all the way through from undergrad through to medical school. Some of those are seven-year programs. Some of them are eight-year programs. They are t- highly selective. Um, And I would say not right for many students because even though I talk to many, many students who are interested in medical school, many, many of those students ultimately opt not to go. So um, I'm not really going to go into it here because we actually did a show on this, a segment on this. So I'm going to point you to the archives um, to look for that show I don't actually have the date that it ran on but I do know that we did a show about this what I can say is that the school is going to be looking extra close at um, how the student did in math and science they're going to be looking for a significant maturity they're going to be looking for a student who's able to articulate the interest in medical school um, I used to do some um, medical school sort of practice interviews when I was at Penn, and I know that um, an answer like, I really want to help people, um, they're going to say, then you could go be a nurse, and um, I think that is even almost a little pejorative, because nurses do a lot more than just help, um, but they're really looking for an academic um, connection to the material, and they're really looking for that maturity for that student who truly is ready to make this commitment at this young age to go all the way through to being a doctor. But um, we did more on this in the archives, um, and I would definitely recommend taking a look there. Um, Lori, thank you so much for joining today and for answering those finance questions and asking me the admissions questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Um, And uh, I also want to say thank you to Kira. She has left the show, but she was super helpful earlier as well. Um, I did mention earlier that next week it's Thanksgiving, and none of us are going to be here. We are going to be enjoying turkey with our families, um, and maybe you will be doing the same. Perhaps you're going to follow up your turkey dinner by listening to us, and if so, more power to you. I hope you find it interesting. I might suggest that you take the day off and maybe listen on Black Friday instead of shopping. Um, we're actually going to be replaying one of our greatest hits. It's the, uh, the episode that seems to be getting the most listens lately. Um, and my guests and I discussed how to evaluate your chances of getting accepted to an Ivy or a similarly highly selective college. And I know that not everyone is interested in that, but for those of you who are, we're going to be replaying that. Um, And as I mentioned ad nauseum throughout the day today, we do have great archives. So if you don't want to listen to that particular episode, you can always go back and listen to something different. We did a segment on whether it's better to get an A in uh, regular college prep or a B in honors, all kinds of good stuff in there. Um, Don't forget, we actually do have a Black Friday promotion going on through the end of November that does not require going to the store. Um, If you go to www.getintocollege.com, Forward slash getting dash in. You can fill out the form and get more information. If you've been thinking about signing up, now is a really good time to do that um, because we are running this special Black Friday promotion. Um, there are lots of great free ways to interact with us. You certainly don't ever have to sign up, and our hope is that you get enough help here that maybe you don't feel like you have to. Um, we have a great website, getintocollege.com, our blog, getintocollegecom forward slash blog. We're on Pinterest, we're on LinkedIn. Um, you can sign up for free downloads of the show on iTunes. You can go set it up, and then you never have to think about it. You'll get the latest show. Um, please rate the show while you're there. We would love to get higher, more ratings. Um, more ratings. Our ratings are good, but if we get more, um, then we'll get higher up, and people might actually stumble across us a little more frequently. Uh, don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific.